Our passage this morning is unique in the Bible. There is no other passage that I know that is quite like it. And what it does is it, is it sets forth um, a big, a bold, a, a, just an amazing vision of how the gospel shapes the church as it relates to prayer. So let's read the passage this morning again um, in 1 Timothy. So if you're not there, please open again there to 1 Timothy chapter 2, page 1187. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let me read uh, verses 1 through 8 of 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1st of all then I urge that entreaties and prayers petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and for all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. As a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth, therefore I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. To summarize this passage of Scripture, I could put it like this, and I'm going to put it like this. Um, here's the message in a nutshell. A gospel-shaped church, or we could say a gospel-shaped Christian, is one, is a church, is a person fully devoted fully devoted to biblical prayer that reaches the nations for the purpose of gospel advance. Now that's a mouthful. I've packed everything into that one sentence. Um, So what I want to do this morning is I want to break down this sentence, this message, in really into its four parts. And we're just going to unpack it, and as we see here Um, the parts that Paul lays out in um, this text. And as I do this, we're going to see the heart of God for us as a church, as Grace Community Bible Church. I want us, I hope, that we will have a renewed picture of what prayer really means. I hope that through God's Spirit, we will have a renewed vision of what it means to be a church of prayer at Grace Community Bible Church. So the four parts Paul says here are, number one, we learn about the importance of prayer. The importance of prayer. Number two, the method of prayer. The method of prayer. Number three, he gives us the scope of prayer. 
the scope of prayer, and number four, the aim of prayer. Finally, the aim of prayer. So let's look at each in turn. So a gospel-shaped church is first, it's first fully devoted to biblical prayer, to prayer. And I use this language of fully devoted for a reason, from what we see here in verse 1. Look at it with me again. Verse 1, it says this, First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. Now, the words, first of all, that you see there in that verse, the very beginning of the verse 1, these words are not a reference to first in a list. Like, first I want you to pray, and then I want you to evangelize, and then I want you to on and on and on. That's not what he's saying when he says, first of all. What he means when he says, first of all, is this is a reference to importance. This is why I say that that a, a church that is shaped by the gospel is devoted, fully devoted to prayer. Prayer for this kind of church is of utmost importance. The church devotes itself to prayer. That's what Paul is saying here. First of all, I want you, church in Ephesus, and I want you, church in Lakeville, Grace Community Bible Church, to be devoted, fully devoted to prayer. And this shouldn't come as a surprise to us because what we see is when the church began and was birthed in the book of Acts, what do we see described of the church? If you remember Acts 2.42, we quote it around here a lot, so you have to have this verse memorized. Here's what the church was doing. The church was continually devoting themselves. Devoting themselves to what? To four things. The apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and they were fully devoting themselves to prayer. In other words, we could say that the early church and the church in Ephesus and Grace Community Bible Church needs to be, how we could say in today our modern lingo, we need to be sold out to prayer. We need to be all in when it comes to prayer as a church. Now, I want you to observe something with me in this text, which I find interesting. It just highlights this point of the importance of it. Look with me just a chapter later in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to get to this in due turn, but here's what chapter 3, verse 1 says. It is a trustworthy statement. If a man aspires to the office of an overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. And then if you continue reading on, which don't do that now, but if you continue reading on, Paul just kind of outlines here how a church is to conduct itself. In other words, what he does is he gives the, the, the basic government of the church, the basic rules of order that are to be in a biblical, Christ-honoring, gospel-shaped church. That's what chapter 3 is all about. 
Now, if you think about it, church government, how a church runs, how a church functions, it's necessary. A church has to have government. It has to have principles on how it's guided. It has to have leaders and all of that. And that is very, very important for a church. And our church has that. We have a church government, we say. All right? And I know government church government, it's boring, it's dry, it's dull. We don't want to think about that. But as important as government is, and it is important, what I find fascinating is before Paul even gets to church order, he talks about prayer. He says, of utmost importance in a church is prayer. It's almost like if you have prayer and not government, you're good. But if you have government and not prayer, that's bad. Before any order he discusses, he wants the church to be a church of prayer, a church on its knees. Why is this the case? Because prayer by the Spirit is the lifeblood of the church. It's the lifeblood of the church, of a church, and it is for Grace Community Bible Church. Next, the second thing that Paul says here about prayer, in our main sort of point here, a gospel-shaped church is fully devoted to, now I'm saying, biblical prayer. Biblical prayer that reaches the nations for the purpose of gospel advance. So I want to focus here on this phrase, biblical prayer. And these words, biblical prayer, describe the method This is the second point, the method of prayer Paul outlines for us here. How are we supposed to pray? How do we do it? It's of utmost importance. How do we do it? Well, Paul uses um, some words here to describe prayer, the nature of it, which lends itself to to telling us how we are to do it, what what it contains, what elements prayer should contain. So look again at verse 1. He says, first of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. So you see there those four words, entreaties, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. Now these words are helpful because they describe, like I said, they describe the nature of prayer, what it is, what it is, and therefore how we are to do it. So let's kind of talk about these words for just a brief moment. First of all, the word entreaties. Some translations, your translation may translate this word supplications. It's a very similar word. And the meaning of the word is we we supplicate, we entreat God because we are lacking something. And so typically that's what we think about when we pray. Pray is requesting. Pray is asking. And that is what this word entreaties or supplication means. Knowing that we have a lack, we entreat. We we ask God for what we need. That's the first word. The second word Paul uses here is prayers. And this is most... Uh, a, a general basic word for prayer that really, really sort of informs and, and colors this whole passage here. It's how we kind of know Paul is talking about prayer. He throws out this word prayer, and then he jumps to the word um, petitions 
or intercessions. So this word means to pray on behalf of someone else. That's really what is the idea of this word, right? So it's not so much praying for ourselves, it's praying for someone else. It's others-oriented. Prayer, in other words, should be others-oriented. Yes, we pray for our own needs, but we also pray for the needs of others. And then finally, he says, thanksgivings, and that's that's, I don't need to explain that. We know what that means. Now, here's what I want to say. I don't want you, and, and, and the, 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 the point is not to get hung up on the nuances of these words, right? Am, am I praying entreaties? Am I praying in intercessions and, and all these things? That, that's not the point, right? Because all of these words are similar. They, they give color to what prayer is like. They paint the picture. They, they give features to the facet of the diamond that we might call prayer. They describe prayer. But if we could put all these together, they all kind of give us the way, the method, the how we pray. And so some people, as they have looked at this and then kind of put it together with other passages of Scripture, they have come up with um, acronyms to help describe how we are to pray. And, and you know there's a very common one. It's the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S. It stands for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, right? It's kind of taken from this text. It has four elements in there, and that's good. It's a good acronym to, to, to tell us how we are to pray. But I find with that acronym, it's helpful. But, but I don't know about you, if you've ever used that acronym, typically I find it hard to distinguish between adoration and thanksgiving, right? Because aren't we adoring God when we're thanking him? <laughs> I mean, so it's, it's a little bit hard. Maybe there's a bit of a nuance there. And that's fine if that works for you. What works for me, what I've used, what we've been using on Wednesdays as we have our corporate prayer meeting, is we've been using the concepts of up, in, and out. Up, in, and out. So prayer should have those basic elements, right? It should have basically an upward component, an inward component, and an outward component. Or if you like um, three words that all begin with R, let me give them to you as I recently found this. Very helpful. Rejoice, repent, and request. That's what prayer should entail. Rejoice, repent, and request. So I think all of this captures the idea well. So what does this mean? How do we pray? First of all, when we pray, we, we pray prayers that are upward. We're rejoicing. And so what are we doing? We're, we're praying prayers of adoration, of thanksgiving, of praise to God. That's often what we do when we begin our service on Sunday. We have a prayer of adoration, or we have a prayer of invocation, which we're praising God, and then and then we then we start to get to the inviting Him to be amongst us in our worship service. So first of all, we have upward-oriented prayers, and then we have inward-oriented prayers, or we could use the word repent. So these are prayers of confession. Prayers of sorrow, prayers of repentance that we offer to God on behalf of our own sins, our own failures, our own waywardness. And then finally, we pray out. 
And this is prayers of requesting, offering prayers for our own needs, we could say, and the needs of others. So here's the point. The point is biblical prayer is driven by these three words. These three words describe prayer. They give us a summary of what prayer is. Are you following me? Are you following me? The nature of prayer is that it is up, in, and out. Or um, rejoice, repent, and request. Now, let me ask a question. Does this mean, are you saying, Pastor Dan, that in every time I pray, that I've got to sort of follow this, this you know, up, in, out thing? No, that's not what I'm saying, okay? I don't, I'm not saying that at all. Because many times, the only prayer we can pray and all we have time for in the moment is, Lord, help me. <laughs> that's all we have time for. And then it's just right there in your face, whatever it is that you're dealing with at the moment. But other times in our life, we have time where we can set aside seasons, times, and we can devote an extended time to pray, 5, 10, 15, whatever time it is that we have that we devote ourselves to. And when we do that, know that you can follow this biblical pattern. These words are not used just throwing them out there. Paul's not trying to win an essay contest here for, for a, a homeschool group. No, no, no. He's using these words deliberately to describe the nature of prayer. Right? So we pray prayer that are uh, prayers that are biblical prayers. Biblical prayers. Um, so, so what I'm saying is it means that, that your prayer should, by and large, the tenor of your prayers over the course of your walk with the Lord should contain these elements. That's the point. Not that every one of your prayers needs to have each thing specifically, right? And, I, and this is important because let me just highlight this next. J- just think about this. This is important because I think that if you're like me, and I'm going to be honest with you, I find that my prayers are typically consumed with, Lord, help me essentially with this, 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 and this that I have to do today. Lord, my checklist of what I got to do today is long, and I'm covering all of these things, and I mention them in prayer. That's typically how we're oriented. That's typically how we're wired, to pray for our own needs, right? To pray for what we Want. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Don't hear me right. We, we should. We should be pleading and interceding for our needs, right? Prayer is, is, is though much more than asking, but it is not less. That's what I'm saying. It's much more than asking, but it is not less. And why do I say that? Because when you, when you rejoice in God... When you adore him in your prayers, are you asking him for something in that moment? No, not really. What are you doing? You're, you're, you're praising him. You're worshiping him. You're, you're thanking him. Just like you would with your spouse. Dear, I, I love that shirt that you're wearing. I, I, I love um, um, what you've done here. Um, you know, you, you're, you're, you're adoring them. You're praising them. You're not asking something for them in the moment. Right? Because prayer is fundamentally a relationship. It's a relationship with your Heavenly Father. And so prayer is much more than asking, but it is not less. And, and we, need to, we need to be reminded that it's not just asking about our own needs. There's nothing wrong with that. 
Don't hear me condemning you for that. I'm not at all. Not at all. And that leads really, it really leads to this third, third component that Paul gives here. A gospel-shaped church fully devotes itself to biblical prayer that, that reaches the nations for the purpose of gospel advance. So here is this third element, the scope of prayer. The scope of prayer, and it's outlined here in verse 2. So read with me again. Look at verse 1, because it bleeds right into verse 2. Verse 1, first of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority. So how are these two verses related? This is, this is, a, this is a huge kind of exegetical interpretive question. How are these, three, these two verses related? Well, the way I understand how they're related, the way I approach this is that verse 1 is sort of amplifying verse, or excuse me, verse 2 is sort of amplifying verse 1. What this means is that we are to pray for all men, that is, especially kings and all who are in authority. So we could say, in fact, and especially certain kinds of men. Who are those kinds of men? They are kings and all who are in authority, right? So what I think Paul is teaching us here is that we are to pray for all kinds of people, for kings, especially for kings and those who lead us in authority. Now this, this, what Paul is outlining here would have seemed revolutionary, to the people originally hearing these words, right? Because if you remember, at this time, who was leading, who was the king, who was the person in authority? You had these people called Roman emperors, right? And they were not nice. They were persecuting the Christians. A lot worse than we have it here today. A lot, lot worse. And yet... Paul says to pray for them, to pray for them, and not just to pray for them that God would wipe them off the face of the earth very speedily. <laughs> I mean, that would be a good prayer, right? Lord, remove this person from office ASAP. No, that's not what Paul says to pray for. And this is revolutionary for generation upon generation upon generation to follow. If we look at the history of the world, we can see over and over and over again leaders who actually oppressed and persecuted God's people. And yet God's people were to pray for them. And what do we pray so what do we pray? What do we pray for kings and all who are in authority? What do you pray? Well, here's what Paul says we are to pray for. Look at verse 2. He says to pray for kings and for all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So Paul wants us to pray for kings and those in authority for this reason, that we would lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So what I think that means 
By implication is that our prayer should be in concert with, our prayer should be generated from, what produces this? What produces a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and all dignity? So here are things that come to my mind, things that we need to be praying for our leaders. Pray that they would rule in peace and bring peace upon the land. That is in concert with this desire for praying for kings that Paul lists here. Pray that they would rule in justice and equity. Pray that harmony and unity would be in our country, in our lands. Those are words keeping with this desired outcome that we are to pray for our rulers. That's what they need from us. Wisdom to know how to execute on those things. Now, I want to say, as I've studied this passage, as I've, as, I've, as I've thought about it, I have personally been convicted in my prayers that my prayers, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, my prayers are always, they seem to be always so, so short-sighted, so self-focused, so small. I tend to pray for my needs and the needs of those in my basic sphere of influence. And, and let me say again, there's nothing wrong with that. Jesus told us, in fact, he says, pray for your daily bread. Right? He told us to pray for our needs. But if you remember the Lord's Prayer, what did he say to do before that? Right? You know the Lord's Prayer. He said, pray for God's will to be done. Pray for God's kingdom to come. He wants us to have kingdom-oriented prayers. Prayers that are larger than ourselves. Prayers that are larger than our church. Prayers that are expansive, large, and big. This is because the gospel drives us out of ourselves into a world as God sees it into a world that is in desperate need of Christ. And he calls on us to make prayers that touches on all kinds of people, especially those who lead in the civil level. Why? Because generally the way that they lead then affects everyone else. As the leader goes, so goes the nation. But the gospel, the gospel, it shapes us to pray outward. Outward for the expanse of God's kingdom. And so this leads, number four, to the aim of prayer. Why is Paul saying, church in Ephesus, church at Grace Community Bible Church, you need to be devoted to biblical prayer that reaches the nations? Right? For, for the purpose of gospel advance. And that's exactly what Paul says. Pray for all kinds of people for the purpose of gospel advance. Let's pick it up in verse 3. This, and in, 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 that is, this kind of prayer, the prayer for all kinds of people. That's what Paul is saying. This prayer is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's all, all, 
kinds of people, all these various groups, all these people that God wants to be saved. Not just the Jews, which was the problem in the church of Ephesus. That was probably one of the, 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 the heresies that was being floated around at that time is that salvation is only for the Jews. And Paul comes along and he says, no, listen. Listen, church at Ephesus. Verse 5, I want you to listen to this. There is one God, not a God of the Jews and Gentiles. There is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the men Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, all kinds of men, Jew and Gentile alike, the testimony given at the proper time. In fact, in fact, I, Paul, was appointed as a preacher and an apostle. I'm lying. I'm not, I'm telling the truth, he says, as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. So Paul is teaching us that a gospel-shaped church, that's what the book of 1 Timothy is about. It's about how the gospel shapes the church. And here in verse 2, we start getting into what the church does. And first of utmost importance, he says, a gospel-shaped church is a church fully devoted to biblical prayer that reaches the nations for the purpose of gospel advance. Now, what I want to do is I want to spend the balance of my time this morning with really making one application. One application from this text regarding prayer. And I actually want to make an application to a particular kind of people this morning. Particular group of people this morning. And that is men. So women, you can just turn me out the rest of the time. No, 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 don't turn me out. You need to clonk your husband over the head and listen up. Men, let's be honest. Prayer is hard. Are you with me, men? Prayer is hard. It is so, so hard. And I think there are many reasons for this. Let me mention three. We could mention a lot, but let me mention three that come to mind. Number one, I think men are less relational than women, by and large. Now, there are always exceptions. And I think why that's important is because prayer is a relationship. That's what prayer is fundamentally. You're communing with God. You're talking to Him. Right? God's not a vending machine. So we don't just come to him when we need something, although that's often what we do. But prayer is our communion with him. It's our communication with him. It's expressing to him our heart. And men, we, we tend to not do well with relationships. I mean, I'll be the first to admit that. And I think by and large, that is how we are wired as men. That's, that's how we are. That's how God made us. Now, certainly we have to grow in that. We have to make much strides in that, right? But that's how we are. And so I'm just giving you some descriptions of why I think prayer is hard for us as men. 
Number one, because we're less relational than women. Number two, I think men, at least in this culture, at least in this culture, are bred on the self-made man concept. John Wayne is our hero. (laughs) Admit it. Admit it, guys. John Wayne is my hero, right? Just admit it. Right? And and so we live in this culture of self-reliance. Of, 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 of independence, of self-dependence. Now, now, hear me closely. There is a sense, there's a certain element of self-reliance and independence that is good, right? You hear about men in their 30s living in their parents' basement, and I want to say to that man, grow up. <laughs> grow up, get a job, marry a woman, and have a family. Grow up. Right? That's not what I'm talking about here. Right? There's a sense in which being independent from mom and dad is a good thing. What I'm talking about is there is an ungodly self-reliance and independence that we have, men. By nature, yes, and by sin. By our default of being sinners. Very few of you men, very few of you want to sit out in life and become a panhandler. I mean, they're just, they're just by the numbers. I mean, there are those out there that do that. But typically, that's not what we want. We desire to go out and conquer and to make something of our lives. That's what we desire to do. But listen, men, listen. Do you know what the Christian life is? Do you know what prayer is? Prayer is begging. That's the nature of prayer. We are beggars, men. We are beggars. That's ultimately who we are. And we may have some sense of of independence and some sense of self-existence, but at the end of the day, what do you have that you have not received from the Lord? Nothing. Nothing. It is all a gift of his grace. Every good gift comes from the Father of love with whom there is no variableness or no shadow of turning. Now, in addition to those two reasons, there is a third reason that the Bible mentions. And it's found in verse 8. Look at it. Therefore, I want men in every place to lift up holy hands, to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Now this struck me about a year ago when I was studying over this verse. And what struck me was the fact that how much this passage related to me. I tend to struggle with anger and wrath. It's just, it it, it sort of, it it comes easy to me, right? I may not show it very well. I can hide it to some extent, but I can tend to be angry. I can tend to fall into sins of anger. And I know that is true with many of you men. How many times have you lost it with your children compared to your wife? (laughs) Right? How many times have you lost it with a loved one? How many times have you been angry with the presidential administration? 
So here's the application. Here's the point, right? Paul tells us, men, we are to pray in every place, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. And he says that because when we pray, that is what drives out our anger. It is what drives out our wrath. It's very hard to be angry and pray over time. Over time, the Lord, when we pray, begins to soften our heart. Or, or frankly, sometimes he needs us just to clobber, up, clobber us at the side of the head <laughs> in a good way, right? In a good way. Now, when we see here in verse 8, therefore I want the men in every place to pray, he is using a specific word for man here. This is the word we find, the Greek translated, um, the Greek word that is translated um, men here, it says in our version, but it's, it's the word for male. Right? This is not the generic word for men. Sometimes you see men as in all humankind, but it's the specific word for males. And that's why I'm, I'm, I'm aimed at this application to men. Men, you have a calling to prayer that women do not have. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean I'm not saying that, that, that women do not pray. I'm saying that there is a special call to prayer that men have that women do not. And so here is, here is the application. Men, men, will you join me? Will you join me? Men, let's lead in prayer. At Grace Community Bible Church, let's be men who pray. Let's lead one another in prayer. Let's lead our families in prayer. Men, do you pray with your family? Do you pray with them? If I could just get every man in here just to pray with his family, just even before a meal, wow, what good that would do at Grace Community Bible Church. Who initiates prayer in your home, men? Is it you or is it your wife? Who does it? Are you leading in prayer? Are you leading in prayer by coming to the prayer meeting on Wednesday night? Wednesday night is when our church devotes itself to pray. It's when we come together and pray, and, and, you, and this can be applied to praying in your homes, praying in your workplaces, but I think primarily here, this is aimed at the church, and the application is the church, and how we do that, how we've worked it out in this congregation is that we gather together to pray on Wednesday. That's how we do it. That's when we pray. Brothers, we need to pray. We need to be men of prayer. And for this reason, because prayer is where you get the power to live the Christian life. It's where you get it. It's where you get the power to live the Christian life that you confess, that you profess, that you're called to live. Men, you know what you're called to do? You're called to love your wife as Christ loved the church. 
Who can do that? <laughs> Seriously. That is a huge calling. Yes, come on, can I get some yes, amens? As my brothers in Africa, they'd be amening me now at this point. <laughs> a lot more vocal than they are here in, in, uh, in the western, Midwestern area of the world. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. But you can do it. You can. How? By prayer. That's how you'll do it. That's how you'll love your wife as Christ loved the church. Men, you are called to lead your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord without wrath and anger. You can't do that without prayer. No way, no how. No way, no how. You are called, men, to, to provide for your family through meaningful financial employment. And I know that the demands on you are great. I know many of you spend hours upon hours upon hours working to provide for your families. And it is challenging and it is hard. And in that, men, do not neglect prayer. Bathe your workplace in prayer. Let me give you, I want to give you, men, a very concrete, particular action step this morning. This is super concrete. This is something that you can do. You can do as an application of the message this morning. And here it is. I want you to make it a priority in your life to attend our prayer meeting on Wednesday night. Men, I want you to lead in this. Now, I recognize I recognize some of you cannot be here because you're working. You physically cannot be here, and that is understandable. And also, you're sick, and, and you're traveling. I get that, all right? This is not about legalism at all. But I also recognize, men, some of you can be here, and you're not. Because it's not a priority. It, you're not devoted to prayer. Let me, let me say something, and I say this with all humility and respect. Some of you men need to deny yourself. You need to take up your cross, and you need to be here on Wednesday night. That's what you need. You need to lead in this. If we as men are not leading in this church in prayer, who is going to do it? Who is going to do it? It's our call as men to be men of prayer, to be fully devoted for it. Yes, I will admit I'm exhausted on Wednesday night. Many times I'm dragging myself here. And many times I'm struggling to stay awake as I sit there. But I never regret it. I never regret coming. I never say, you know, I wish I would have stayed home and gotten a little more rest. I wish I would have stayed home and caught up on the news. I wish I would have stayed home and did the project list that I needed to do. I never say that. I'm always thankful I came. But Pastor Dan, you don't understand. My kids are young and they have to be in bed by eight. You know what I'll say? They'll live. <laughs> They'll live. One night a week, they're up past their bedtime. They will live. And here's the truth. Here's the reality. Your kids, men, they learn more from you by what you do than what you say. 
much more by what you do than what you say. Think about if you set the example in your home. You know what? Our family is going to be at prayer meeting no matter what. That is what we're going to do. You know what's going to happen? Your children, I guarantee you, your children are going to learn from that example. And over time, they're going to see, you know what? Prayer is an important part of the Christian life. That my dad and my mom would take everything and put it aside to be here to pray on Wednesday night. And there's nothing like it when we gather here to pray on Wednesday. There is nothing like the experience of coming here and gathering together in small groups and praying together. And you say, Pastor Dan, I don't like to pray in groups of people. I say, don't worry about it. You'll grow into it. And it won't over time be so much of a burden. And you'll start to enjoy it and love it. I guarantee you that will happen to you. It will happen to you because it happened to me. I at one time, yes, didn't like to pray in groups of people. And then I started to do it and it was wonderful. And so if I can't, if I can't urge you as Paul urged the church in Ephesus. That's what he says. Look at it again with me. Chapter 1, or chapter 2, verse 1. He says, first of all, then, I urge. It's a very strong word Paul's using here. If I can't urge you, like Paul did, to be at prayer meeting, to devote yourself to prayer, men, I don't know what else I can urge you to do. You know, I will be the first to admit I hate it when preachers pile duties on my lap. I am a preacher, and so I am well aware of that. And I am well aware of piling stuff on you to do. That's the last thing I want to do as a pastor. I don't want to do that because you know what? Frankly, all of us need encouragement and we all need the gospel. And we need, to, we need to recognize and be afreshed every Sunday we come of what Jesus has done for us because we're beat up six days a week. But I have to, to be faithful to this text, I have to urge you. I have to urge you, and I'm saying this along with my other pastors. We're saying this together. We're urging you to make prayer a priority, men. I need this in my life. I need accountability in this way. I can preach this all day long. To live it is another story. Honestly, it's hard. It's hard. But listen, if we want Grace Community Bible Church to reach this community, and we do, don't we? We want to be Grace Community Bible Church. If we want to reach this community, if we want to reach the nations with this vision that Paul outlines for us, we need to be a church of prayer. We need to be shaped by prayer, and it starts with us men. And you know what? If you look at the history of Christianity... If you look at the history in Acts, and if you look at the history that goes outside of Acts and what God has done, every great move of the Spirit has happened by prayer. Let me tell you something. Our brothers in Malawi, they know how to prayer. And you know what's happening in Malawi? A revival. 
You know what's happening in Africa and in Asia and South America? Revival. Because these people are praying. They're praying. And it is on the shoulders of our brothers and sisters, missionaries who have gone out and they've sacrificed their own very lives for the sake of reaching the nations. And it happened. It all happened. It all started in 1784 in England. In 1784 in England, there was a small group of churches, and they band together and they decided that they were going to take Paul's admonition seriously, and they were going to make prayer of utmost importance. And so what they did is they sent out a call to prayer. And why they did this is because they saw that in England, at that time, the churches were on the decline. The churches are partly in that era, and as they are always, a product of the culture. And culturally, in 18th century England, historians have described it as the century of play. Sounds kind of like our culture, our time. Well, we'll see what is written about the 21st century, next century. But in light of all of these declining numbers and the moral bankruptcy they saw all around them, they sent out this call to prayer. And let me read you this call to prayer. This is what they sent to the churches. Here it is. We hereby solemnly exhort all the churches in our connection to engage heartily and perseveringly in the prosecution of this plan for prayer. And as it may be well to endeavor to keep the same hour as a token of our unity herein. So there was multiple churches and they wanted all to pray at the same hour so that they would have some sense of unity. And it is supposed the following scheme may suit many congregations, namely, and here's where they called their prayer meeting. It wasn't on Wednesday, it was on Monday. So we want to meet on the first Monday evening in May, June, and July from 8 to 9. In August from 7 to 8, September and October from 6 to 7, November, December, January, and February from 5 to 6, and March from 6 to 7, and April from 7 to 8. Now, obviously, that was all based on the seasons and the weather and, and their lifestyles there of, 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 of how they worked. Nevertheless, they say, if this hour or even the particular evening should not suit in particular places, we wish our brethren to fix on one more convenient to themselves. Now, why did these churches call for this prayer? Let me give it to you in their own words. They said, quote, The grand object of prayer is to be that the Holy Spirit may be poured down on our ministers and churches, that sinners may be converted, that saints edified, the interest of religion revived, and the name of God glorified. Now, there's something that you've got to know about this context. In the late 18th century, Christianity predominantly only existed in what we would call Western Europe, America, and Canada. Honestly, that's predominantly where Christianity was in those parts of the world. Yet, in 1792, as a result of of this call to prayer, just eight years later, a young man named William Carey went to India with the gospel. 
And little did these churches know that Carrie's mission sparked a worldwide campaign of missions. And it's why we call Carrie the father of missions, because what we see is the church in the 1800s start sending out hundreds of thousands of missionaries to all over the world, like no other time in world history. And as history tells us, and as historians argue, it is because of this call to prayer in 1784 that put the burden on William Carey to go out and which subsequently sparked this call to missions which caused Christianity to explode in the world. This is amazing. Why is... Why is Christianity booming in Africa, South America, and Asia today? Why is it? Why is it? Why are three quarters of professing Christians now there? Why is it that we partner with Equipping Leaders International to train pastors in Sierra Leone and Bolivia and Mali and on and on and on? In a very real way, in a very real way, I just came back from Malawi because these churches in the 18th century devoted themselves to pray. That's why I just got back from Malawi. I am convinced, brothers and sisters, that God is still alive. He is still alive. He is still on the move. And he wants us as Grace Community Bible Church to be shaped by the gospel. And you know what the gospel does for a church? You know what it does for a people? It never leaves them stagnant. The gospel is not just our pass go to get into heaven card. The gospel completely changes everything about us. And it causes us as a church to be fully devoted to biblical prayer so that the nations may come to know and worship Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. So let's be following Paul's admonition here. Let's pray.